0: Now, in chapter 24, we begin a transition in Jesus' ministry. This is a long day in Jesus' life. He is still preaching and teaching in the temple. He began the day by cursing a fig tree, and then he goes to the temple complex and he begins talking to the people there and then challenging the religious leaders. And um, we finished wrapping up last week talking about toxic religion where he was uh, giving a series of woes to the Pharisees and the scribes um, as they were uh, spiritually abusing God's people and misrepresenting the, the one true God to the to the nations, to the world. And so he had some very harsh words to say to them. And then we, we transition to chapter 24, verse 1, and here's what happens in this transitional statement. Jesus left... The temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple so jesus now is leaving the temple complex and by the way jesus is this is the last time jesus comes uh, and is going to be in the temple ministering and preaching and teaching uh, and so it's as if god is symbolically saying that i have I, my presence is no longer active here this is no longer going to be the center point of, of the nation of Israel, and of the, the people of God, this is going to change here. And so Jesus leaves the temple, and as they're walking out, the disciples are they're having a little um, tourism moment here, and they're, they're going, you know, Kodak moment before Kodak, and they're saying, you know, hey, Jesus, these are really cool buildings, aren't they? you know as if jesus just dropped the hammer on the pharisees you know woe to you may you be destroyed because you've done this and that and you're hypocrites and you're blind and you're leading people far from god or whatever and they're like this is really neat architecture huh jesus (laughs) sometimes people just don't get it right and so these guys that's their that's their response and jesus says you see all these things do you not do you see all these things do you not truly i say to you there will not be left one left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see these magnificent, unbelievable buildings. Not one of these stones is going to be left, but every single one of them is going to be leveled to the ground. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but this is the center of their um, civilization, is the temple, the temple complex and the temple. And in the center of the, of the nation of, of um, Israel and now Judah, uh, you have Jerusalem in the center of Jerusalem, the highest point. The epicenter, I mean, all their language, they have psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent because they would sing them as they ascended up the hills to Jerusalem, up the hills to the temple, and then as the high priest would go in the temple, up the hill in the temple to the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel and their sins and the world on their sins um, before God. It's a big deal. Jesus says, uh, yeah, this this is neat buildings, but you know that every single one of these stones is going to be leveled to the ground? Be like, be like me coming in here this morning, and this is, it's, it's worse than this, but this will give you an idea. Like me saying, do you know that within um, the next um, several decades, do you know that the Capitol and the White House and the Pentagon and all of the Washington, D.C. is going to be leveled to the ground? You know, that's thats about to happen. I mean, we'd be like, what? What are you talking about? That, that, that can't happen. I mean, the Pentagon and whatever. Well, you know. And so he begins to give them some instruction, says in verse three, he sat down at the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, "Okay, so what's going on here? Tell us when these things will be and what sign will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So they ask him two questions, which we'll get into in a minute. So the background of this in the series we're beginning today is called Preppers. There is. A big movement, if people are realizing that, okay, what happens if a pandemic like Ebola or the flu that kills 40,000 people a year or uh, some other things begins to wipe people out and uh, people are no longer delivering groceries to the grocery stores? What do we do if we can't go to the grocery store to get our food? Or what do we do if the power grid goes down and we don't have power anymore? Or what do we do if um, the economy collapses and we can't get our money out of the banks and there's looting everywhere and whatever? So we better store up ammunition and we better store up water and we better store up you know, rice and we better raise our own chickens and we better do all these things. And so people are preparing for the end times for whatever might come. Right. And, and that's not completely wacky. OK, that's there's there's some wisdom to that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But it's funny because Jesus, 2000 years ago, was telling his people to prepare, to prepare for the end times, to prepare, to get ready, because things aren't going to be like they are right now. Things are going to get worse before they get better. He was telling us to prepare now, now the, the danger for us is sometimes we prepare physically, but do we prepare spiritually? You, you, you might have all your stuff stored away and all everything's ready to go and you can, you can live for six months or you've got your bug out bag or your bug out vehicle and you're ready to head to the mountains and you've got a way, you've got a plan, you've got a way to protect your family. But the bigger issue is going back to the word of God and saying, okay, God, how can we be prepared knowing that you have told us that one day the end will come? What are you, how are you calling us to live in such a way that we're ready for the end? In these next two chapters, Jesus perfectly lays out for us what we need to be thinking about and how we need to sober up and we need to be prepared for the end. We need to be prepared for the end. But interestingly enough, by saying we need to be prepared for the end, does not Jesus is not saying we need to check out. He's not saying we need to detach from society. He's not saying we need to all move to Montana. He's not saying we need to move to the mountains, we need to get off the grid. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is we need to be ready because when the, when the king comes, will we be ready? Or are we going to be so caught up in the things of this world that we're, we're not ready for him? And so he's going to find a, a variety of different ways to explain this to us. But this morning, the first 15 verses, um, he gives us some challenges, some warnings, and then a couple um, promises to help us prepare. And that's going to begin our series. And then we'll get into this a little more heavy. Now, let me say um, one more... Point of clarification for you on uh, regarding um, the, this series in this passage. Okay, um, there is a lot of things that you might believe about the end times. Some of you might have studied a lot about it. Some of you might be really into end time stuff. You've, you've read all the Left Behind series. You watch the movie. You're fired up that Nicolas Cage is going to do another movie. I'm not really sure what the interest, why he's doing another movie, but uh, there's going to be another Left Behind series movie and um in this whole thing and you might be like man i've got it all and i've got a map on my wall when you come into my house i've got a whole map um you know of of the end times and how everything's going to lay out and how the in my lifetime i remember back far enough i remember when libya we had an issue with libya and i remember as a kid probably i would say i was 6th grade maybe but just talking about what's going on with libya and in qaddafi who's dead now and um you know we might get drafted we're gonna have to go to war and we're gonna have to this and that and it's the beginning of the end it's gonna spill over the to the um to the Middle East and then with Saddam and the first Gulf War and all the stuff that happened there and the thought of them shooting scud missiles to Israel and one scud missile is going to hit Israel and Israel is going to get mad and they're going to push the button. They're going to send a nuke over and the scripture says that Babylon is going to be destroyed and it's like a millstone being dropped in the water and there's going to be waves and it's going to be like a mushroom cloud because a millstone going in the water would make a big splash. It looks like a a mushroom cloud. So clearly that's probably a nuclear bomb that's going to come and and here's what's going to happen or whatever. We're ready for the end. You know what didn't come? I remember being, um, I was as a kid, I remember hearing uh, somebody had prophesied a date of when the end times is going to come, and it's happened probably 25 times since then. By the way, if one of your favorite Bible teachers has ever put a date on when the, when the uh, end times is going to be, and, and that date passed, you should move on to another Bible teacher. Because the Scripture says in the Old Testament, when people prophesy things and they don't happen, that they should be stoned and killed And there's a lot of people that want to have prophet next to their name, but they don't want to be killed when their prophecies don't come up. And so I think that we should probably push on and trust the word of God and the vision of God for the future and not listen to men who call themselves capital P prophets, because that is a dangerous thing. And I don't know if any of the prominent ones that haven't had a series of prophecies that didn't come to pass that they said were going to come to pass. So that's another story from their day. So what do we need to believe as believers to be on the same page? Is there going to be a rapture? Is it going to happen before a seven period a seven year tribulation? Is there is there going to be a second coming? Is Jesus going to come back? Is there going to be a millennial kingdom? Is there going to be Armageddon? How is everything going to fold, unfold? And how is that and, and what do we believe as a church? What does our church believe on these things? what, what do we and, and I've got news for you. There's a lot of things we don't know, and there's a couple of things we do know. And there are the things that are essential that we have to believe as followers of Christ. And then there's things that are non-essentials. There's things that are closed-hand issues that we have to believe. If you are a, an orthodox, um, which means ortho, straight, doxy truth, that you believe the, the, the raw truth of the Word of God, you're like solid biblically, and you have your faith and trust in Jesus. These are things that you have to say that you believe. And if you don't believe them, then you're not really understanding who Jesus is and what he's come to do, and, and you, you don't really understand. And so these are closed-hand things. These are things worth fighting over. And then there's open-hand issues. The rapture, for instance, is an open-hand issue. Okay? Now, if you and I disagree on the rapture, then we disagree on the rapture. So what? Is there a rapture? When's the rapture going to happen? It really doesn't matter. It really does It might matter for you, but but biblical, it really does it. That's not a hill worth dying on. So I don't know what your end times. Some of you guys are, are you know, kind of have the punt mentality, and you're you're panmillennialist, I meaning it's all going to pan out, right? You're like it's going to work out. I don't, I'm a panmillennialist. It's, it'll it'll happen. It'll it, whatever. Jesus is going to. It'll work out. You guys are so jumpy. The air conditioner comes on. Microphones fall, and you guys get your bug out bags and you head out the back door. I see how to. Yeah. But regardless of where you st- stand, uh, I want to give you a couple statements. Now, we as a church, there's some statements that we have put out there on our website on, on um, what we believe, and there's kind of a, there's three statements on there. There's one on what we believe that, that talks about the last times or last things, explains a little bit, and then there's, there's two other um, statements of, of, of belief that we would affirm. we say, yeah, we, we agree with those people that wrote that. We're all on the same page. We agree with that. And one of them is Baptist Faith and Message, 2000. Um, and, and here's a statement in that I'm going to read to you, and then there's another one from 1689 that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, if you've heard of him, um, he's a, a prince of preachers, incredible godly man from uh, the last century, and his church was kind of built on, they all affirmed, yeah, we, we agree with this, and I'm going to read these, and you're going to be, in, it's interesting because these don't talk anything about raptures, but it talks about what matters most. So the Baptist Faith and Message, here's a statement on the last things. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. We we, we would agree with that. Isn't that a good statement? God in His own time and in His own way is going to bring the world to its appropriate end. According to His promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell the place of everlasting punishment. And the righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. That's a simple statement. The second one is, uh, is the, is, comes, comes from the London Baptist Confession of 1689. Sounds really exciting. And this is some pretty robust, meaty stuff. It's very good. Um, stuff, and if you click on the links on the, under what we believe, you can read the whole London Baptist Convention. It's really good stuff in there um, doctrinally. And you said some of you might be going, Why are you reading something that's not scripture? Because what we're going to study in, in 24 and 25 is a piece of Jesus' teaching on the end times it's not all of jesus teaching on the end times and it's not all that the bible has to say about the end times there is a lot of prophecies in the book of daniel and ezekiel and certainly um the uh, revelation of john that gives us lots of insight into the end times and so when you take all of that together and you kind of work it through and you spit out a statement that clarifies okay here's what we learned from all of these different parts and here's a statement we would all agree upon and that kind of clarifies something so we can all have a rallying point to come around and say okay yeah this is a close-hand issue. We're all good with this. We all agree with this. And so here's the London Baptist Confession statement. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given by the Father. In this day, not only the apostate angels, meaning those angels that that rejected God and fell away, which Satan being the leader of them, shall be judged. Not only the apostate angels, um, Angels shall be judged, but also all people who have lived upon the earth. They shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts and words and deeds and to receive according to what they have done when in the body, whether good or evil. As Christ would have have us to be certainly persuaded that there will be a day of judgment, both to deter all men from sin and to give greater consolation to the godly in their adversity. In other words, to, to be a blessing to those who have suffered um, severely, that, hey, you're not suffering without cause. There's gonna be, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. That's what that statement is saying. So also he will have the date of that day kept unknown to men, that they may shake off all carnal security. The date is hidden that they would not find their security in the things of their flesh in the things of this world. That's what he's saying. The date's hidden. Because if you knew what the date is, he's like, you know what, five years from now, Jesus will emphatically, he will return. And we have the date and we know, then you can be like, oh, so I've got five years to kind of, you know, do whatever I want. And then in five years, then I have to, then I got to repent real quick and get ready because Jesus is about to come back, right? That's what you're saying. No, he's saying that that's not, it doesn't work that way. So the date is kept unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security, finding security in the flesh. And always be watchful, because they know not at what hour the Lord will come, also so that men may be affected in such a way that they ever say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Which is the end of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. The one thing I can tell you emphatically with the authority of the Word of God that is, Jesus is going to return... And he can come any moment. There is nothing that needs to happen for Jesus to return a second time as he has promised. There is no temple that needs to be rebuilt. There's no rapture that needs to happen. There's no suffering. There's no event. There's nothing that needs to happen for Jesus to come back. He can come back any moment. Now, there could be other things that transpire before then. But I want, you to say, I want you to understand that we believe in orthodox believers through the last 2,000 years believe in the eminency of Christ's return, that he is coming back as he promised, and he can come back any moment. After the, the events that are about to take place in this passage in the next uh, 40 years, up to about 70 A.D., after the temple's destroyed and um, all that stuff unfolds, and a lot of things that are, you're going to hear next week, when, when these events have taken place, at that point, Jesus can come back any moment. And I've got news for you. All those things have happened. And so now, for 2,000 years almost, we've been waiting for the return of Christ, and it could be today. It could be today. It could be before the message is over. It could be before you digest your lunch from today. It could be before you get home, before you, uh, make your, before you jump in your bed tonight. It could be before you wake up in the morning. It could be any moment, before these boxes get where they're going, Jesus can come back. The eminency of Christ's return, we believe in that. that He could come back any moment. He will come back as he has promised. So those are the things we rally around. Now, that being said, everything we talk about other than that, the goal in these next several weeks is to teach the text. We're going to teach the text. Um, My goal, and uh, David Fields will be doing one of the messages, um, and as he's teaching also, our goal is to be faithful to the text. Our goal is not to give you our um, apocalyptic agenda and persuasion and try to persuade you on what we think is going to happen and to have a giant chart here and have it all laid out and to make a whole book series and, um, in a, in a movie and all that, that's not our goal. Our goal is just to teach the word. Okay. Um, we're not trying to profit. We're trying to teach the word, Right. And so, uh, that's what we'll do. So Jesus sits down at the Mount of Olives. Now, let me get you in, in, your mind here. Um, if you've seen images, I should have brought one for you, but, uh, you've seen images of Jerusalem sits up on a hill And if you go out um, of the eastern gate, you would go down the hill into a valley and then you would come up the other side and you would be on top of the Mount of Olives. So Jesus leaves the Temple Mount. He travels down. He travels up and he's on the Mount of Olives and he sits down there. And that's where this event takes place. And interestingly enough, we know through the prophecies of scripture that one day Jesus is going to set foot on the Mount of Olives in his return. So he's going to come back to the place. He's having this little conversation with the disciples it's a beautiful spot that looks over the massive city of Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. And you have, as you descend the Mount of Olives, going down to the valley, there is, there is literally thousands and thousands and thousands of graves of Jewish people that have died, and they've been buried there, and they're awaiting the Messiah. They're awaiting the promised one to come, and, and, and most of them missed it the first time. They missed Jesus the first time, and they're going to one day find out that Jesus is truly the Messiah. And so. Verse three, he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age, tell me when these things will be, what will be the sign of the coming in the end of the age, two questions, when will the temple be destroyed? In essence, Jesus says all these stones are going to be leveled to the ground. So they say, when is this going to happen? So they're asking, when is the temple going to be destroyed? In the mind of the Jewish person, the, the idea of life without the temple and without Judaism no, no longer being um, with Judaism no longer being the center point of god 's work is an absolute baffling idea for them to think that that God is going to have a church and for that matter that the Gentile church largely is going to become the, the center for a season of time there's going to be a period where where Judaism is not going to be at the center of, of god 's plan but God is going to shift and he 's going to be bringing salvation to the um, millions of Gentiles that live around the world. Certainly, salvation will also come to some of the Jews, but a partial hardening will come upon their hearts that many of them aren't going to believe. They're just they're not going to believe. And they're going to be resistant to the gospel and to the, G- the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. But in that time, in that moment, after they have rejected Christ the Messiah, God is going to break open salvation to the Gentiles all over the world. And, and, and the majority of you, if not all of you, you're all here as a result of the gospel shifting from being centralized in Jerusalem to being decentralized and it's spreading throughout the world. But Jesus tells them the temple is going to be destroyed. And again, that would have been baffling for them. And, and so in Luke 21, you can write this reference down, verses 20 through 24, Jesus actually foretells the destruction of the temple in a little more detail. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let us... Let those who are in Judea Judea, flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let those who are out in the country not enter it. For For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, interesting. He says it's going to be destroyed by Gentiles, which we know later is the Roman Empire in 70 A.D. Completely levels it to the ground, destroys it. And then he says, interesting little phrase, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Until the time of the Gentiles are, are fulfilled. And then they ask a second question. What will the sign of your coming be at the end of the age? What's going to happen? And so let me give you a thought here, these uh, three little graph, graphics on the bottom here. Uh, this is the way that they viewed the end times. They saw it as a, a, there's, a coming, there's coming a kingdom, and, and this, is, this was John the Baptist's sermon. His message was the Messiah's coming, and he's going to have a winnowing fork in his hand, and he's going to gather the wheat into the barn and the chaff into the fire. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be salvation. And what he did not see, John the Baptist, that is, is that the kingdom actually had two peaks. We'll look at that in just a minute. Another way that you can view it is they had two spheres. They saw the time that is and then the time that will be on the right. And what they did realize is those two periods actually overlapped. And so at the beginning of uh, we're still in the time that is when the time that will be, that's the kingdom of God, is, is here. Jesus in his ministry throughout. In fact, that's been the name of our series um, up until the last several weeks. We've called it the Kingdom Come series that Jesus has come and he has established his kingdom. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, the kingdom is here. It's not going to happen. It's here now. It's here now, but it hasn't, he hasn't fully manifested his rule and his reign. We're still in the time that is, and we're not completely out of that time. And that has created the space for this age of the Gentiles, the, the church age, some people call it, or the mystery age. And that's where we're in that spot. And so here's the next slide shows you these two. The kingdom is really two peaks, not one peak, the cross is going to be the, the center point of the first peak and the crown when Jesus returns for his second coming will be the second peak. This is about as detailed as my graphics are going to be about the end times and how it's all mapped out. Okay? Because I can emphatically spike the ball on this one. This is true. Okay? I'll fight over this one. We're in this season called the church age and it will end when, when Jesus comes back. How is he going to come back? What is that? I know he'll come back visibly. I know he'll come back physically. I know he will come back bodily and I know it could be any moment. And the rest of this stuff, I'm not so sure. We'll speculate, we'll figure, we'll look at it and try to get some ideas. But ultimately, this is what we can be emphatic about. And so we're in this period of the church age, and, and Jesus references it in Luke chapter 21 when he says, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's what he's referring to this period of mystery. And so, when will the temple be destroyed? We know that ends up being 70 AD. And then the second thing, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus shifts and gives them a series of warnings. And I want to take the next couple moments to look at those warnings. And so here's the warnings that he gives them. The first one, he says in verse four, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. When's the end times going to be, Jesus? When are you going to destroy the temple? When's all this stuff going to happen? And he says, "Okay, let me let me give you something. Let's calm down, boys. Let me tell you some things. You need to think about these things. Number one, don't let anybody lead you astray. There's going to be a lot of deceivers, and there will be a lot of deception. And you better know the book. You better know my word. You better know my promises, because it will be easy for you to be deceived. I'm telling you, we live in a day where Christian bookstores are full of books many of which have deception upon them. You can turn the TV on any day of the week and you can find teachers that have some truth, but a lot of lies. And they are full of deception, teaching the Bible. There's so many voices that we hear. And then to top that all off, we live in a time in our culture where we are synchronistic. You, all of us are synchronistic. You say, I'm a Christian and I don't appreciate you calling me a synchronist. Okay, no, you're synchronistic. I am too, all of us. And what that means is we've all been raised in this pluralistic society where there's all these different beliefs and thoughts and religions and, and we're taught to be tolerant of all things, which we should. We should be tolerant of all beliefs. Every belief should be respected, that everybody has a right to have their opinion and their belief. No problem. But if that's what you mean by tolerance, I'm good with that. But if you mean by tolerance all beliefs are equally valid, no. They're not all equally valid that is wrong. And so tolerance today means all beliefs are equally valid. And that is stupid. It's just frankly stupid. Okay. If you walk out across Roan street, okay, it's and there's a, there's a bus coming. Okay. You and the bus will not be able to stay in the same place at the same time. Okay. It's going to be you or it'll be the bus, but it's not going to be you. It's not going to be the bus at the same time. So one of, one, of you, one of them is going to win, right? The, the individual or the bus, which we would know that will be the bus, okay? In, in the same way, ideas are the same way. All ideas are not equal, okay? And so all ideas, everything could be untrue. Everything could be false and everything could be a lie. But two competing truths cannot both be true at the same time. Does that make sense? It's impossible for that to happen. So, so we understand that. So, so by tolerance, we mean everybody has a right to their opinion. And you as a believer should be abundantly respectful of other people's opinions but that does not mean that all opinions are equally valid and therefore cannot be challenged respectfully humbly you should be able to challenge other beliefs you should be able to we should live in a society where we can discuss what is true and what is not true but we live in a society where there's all these different competing dru- truths and by saying we're synchronized what i mean by that is we've taken these truths and all of us undoubtedly have unconsciously taken some things that are not biblical, not true, and we have molded them into our belief system. And it's not a biblical belief system, which is why we're here this morning, which is why we need to be in the Word regularly. We need to be constantly challenging. What are the things that I believe that are pop psychology? What are the things that I believe that are, that are culturally um, informed? In, in what are the things that I believe that are just secular, humanistic, atheistic thinking that I've bought into, that I don't even realize i bought into? And we can't be defensive of that. We need to open our hands and say, okay, God, we want to have a biblical worldview. I want to be biblically informed. And and so we need to lay those things down. Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. There is not a song. There is not a movie. There is not an advertisement. There is nothing that you hear, read, look at, and see throughout the day that does not have at its core a motive of persuasion. Every movie... Every song, everything you see has behind it a desire to persuade you. And I can assure you, most of the time, it is not to make your life better. Okay, it is to to break you down. The, The enemy is so smart and so wise. And we have never lived at a time ever in humanity where there have been so many messages out there, so accessible. And yet we drink deeply at the well of the world and we ingest all that the world has to offer and all the messages and all the stuff and all the things. And then we wonder why we really don't understand the word and we really don't know God like we should and we don't have encouragement and we don't have hope when, when the bottom's falling out and destruction is coming and we're afraid of whatever epidemic or thing that might happen and we totally freak out instead of being the people of God to say, you know what? I mean, I have total faith in God. Let me tell you what the word says. We are too easily led astray. Don't be led astray. Secondly, there will be impostors. Many will come in the day, in that day saying, "I am the Christ." Not not saying "I am um, like Christ, but, or a Christ, but saying that I am the Christ. I'm the promised one. I have come to deliver the people from destruction, and they will lead others astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. In other words, there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars, but the end isn't yet. Verse uh, 7, For nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, we, we, I know, I don't know as much as my wife knows about birth pains, but um, I know a good bit of birth pains. I've seen that look that she gives me uh, when, you know, one of the five times we've had um, kids and, um, and, you know, that look like, I, I you know, I'm, I'm thinking about killing you right now. If I could get off this bed and run you down, you would die right now. Um, you know, birth pains, they're painful. They're painful, right? Um, I've seen the agony. there's there's, <laughs> there's one moment and, uh, when uh, Caroline was born that... Um, you know, Janet was, was muscling through some serious pain, and she looked at me at one p- moment, and with desperation, she said, please help me. And I looked at her, and with great confidence and encouragement, I said, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I, there's, what, are, what do you want me to do? I got nothing for you here. I, I'm, uh, you know, Lord, please bless her, help her. Lord, encourage her. Help her be happy today. Give her a good... I mean, well, what do I got? I got nothing to give there. I, I would just, you know, you can do it. You can do it. Look, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. I'll be back in a minute. You know, I mean, that was, <laughs> uh, wow. It, it, but birth pains, they're painful. They're intense. And, and what he says is these things are going to happen. These are going to come. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And you know what? Increasingly, we have more and more wars. Uh, Gorbachev just came out and said that we are on the verge of another Cold War. Crazy stuff happening all over the world. ISIS and ISIL and whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, stuff's happening. People getting beheaded. Things are going It is crazy, the world we live in. And Jesus says, yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't be led astray. Don't be deceived by imposters. There's going to be wars and natural disasters. And then he says in verse 9, and this is important, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Okay, let me read it again. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. One more time. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. That doesn't preach well in the United States of America, does it? We are God's people. God bless America. We are thankful for what God has done in our our country's history. We're thankful for a lot of things that God has elevated and used the United States of America in a lot of ways. I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way to our country and particularly those who have served our country in various capacities, particularly our military. But that being said, uh, the thought that we, because we're Americans and we live in the West, will never have persecution is crazy. And a lot of people pick their eschatology, their belief in the end times, based upon the fact that they don't want suffering. And they want a Jesus who gives them only blessings and never tribulation. They want a Jesus who, who they, you know, I, I give him my worship, I give him my allegiance, I'll walk down the aisle, I'll get baptized, I'll do whatever, and I'll, you know, give a little money, I'll, I'll do that stuff, and then Jesus is supposed to give me a perfect life, perfect health, perfect everything, everything's supposed to be perfect. It's just not the way it works. Uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, that'll make it clear. Um, the story of the life of Job. It doesn't always work that we live in a fallen, broken world and things are messed up and wickedness is rampant and it's getting worse and there's greater wars and rumors of wars and tribulation is going to come. We're told in Second Timothy that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Do you know that just a couple weeks ago that the mayor of one of the major cities in the south, Houston, Texas, subpoenaed the Sermons of a multitude of pastors because they said some things about uh, uh, against same-sex lifestyles. And uh, and so she, who is in a... Anyway, um, she subpoenaed and asked for these sermons to be pulled together so that she could go through and they could establish what's been said and they could bring charges against these pastors. And you say, well, yeah, but, yeah, but they resisted. They said no and they've taken a stand and so she got slapped on the hand. No, no, no. The bullet's already been fired. The warning has already gone out. Christians, you better be careful what you believe and you better be careful what you say because we're coming and we're coming strong. We're coming after you. Persecution will come. And so one of the most dangerous things in Christianity through the years is when we don't prepare people for persecution. We don't say, you know what, It, it can get bad. Do you know the point of the book of Revelation? The whole point of the book of Revelation and the whole point of this passage from Jesus is not to tell comfortable, lazy, materialistic Christians how to live a safe, happy life until Jesus comes back. But is to tell them that it is going to get really bad and it's going to get really rough. But I want to encourage you to hang in there. Hang in there. Persecution is going to come. Some of you are going to lose your life. Some people are going to be martyred. Some people are going to die. But I want you to hang in there. Hang in there because Jesus is coming back with power and with authority and He is going to stand with the crown on the Mount of Olives and march into the city of Jerusalem and He will bring the madness to an end. He will establish peace on this earth. And so, have faith. Be encouraged. If you are asked to suffer persecution, if you're asked to give your life for Christ one day, God's grace, number one, will be sufficient in that moment. And number two, you go back to the times that you've been in the word where you are told and you're warned and you're encouraged to be faithful. Hang in there. Don't sell out. Don't compromise. Trust God. We, you, you can't kill somebody who's already died. You can't kill somebody who's already died die the challenge of the christian life is to die before you die it's to die before you die it's to lay your life down to follow christ and once you've laid your life down in repentance and to put your faith and trust in christ you've already died you don't longer live now the life you live in the flesh you live that christ lives through you you're already dead so how do you kill a person who's already dead you, there, there's nothing the world can do there's nothing that they can they can throw at us that we need to be fearful about we can trust god that jesus will be faithful and he will sustain us and he'll give us hope and he'll and if it the multitude before the throne singing praises to Jesus in the book of Revelation, if you know that passage, from every t- tribe and tongue and nation, that's not just all the believers that were raptured out before the suffering came. That is those who got there through being martyred. They were killed for their faith in Christ, and they're the ones around the throne singing praises to Jesus from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so hang in there. Tribulation will come. Be warned. Be forewarned. Tribulation will come. The last couple thoughts, I'll go through these quick. There will be hatred. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There will be those who will fall away. You know what? What he is saying is that not everybody, and this this grieves me to think as a pastor with a pastor's heart, to think about the fact that that we, the, the, the manifested body of Christ here in Cross Life Church, the thought that some of us, some of the people in this room, might fall away man. They, they were involved and they went to church and they were in bible whatever. but they never repented but the trust in jesus and they trusted a jesus who gave them good things but not a jesus who allowed suffering or jesus who everything went well but not a jesus who allows tribulation and and eventually the tribulation came and the heat got turned up and they finally said you know i'm check please i'm going to do something else i don't like this i, I didn't know i was going to get beat up and hurt i thought that i, I was supposed to have riches and health and uh what's going on and and so there's going to be those who are going to fall away. Be, be warned, some will fall away. Another thought, verse 11, many false prophets will rise and lead many people astray. There will be false prophets, which he already kind of referenced earlier. There will be those who will lead others astray. And then lastly, because of lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. There is going to be less love. There's going to be less love. Less patience, less um, concern for fellow man, which is where Christianity just, just stands above as we love and pray for those who persecute us. When somebody takes your cloak, you give them your shirt also. When We love people. When they take from us, we continue to give. Because we're not, our lives are not defined by stuff or our health or by whatever. We are surrendered. Again, we've already died. So we, all that we have is to be surrendered to Jesus to be used however he desires. But there's going to be less love in the world. So then he gives us two closing promises. Verse 13 and 14. But to the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this testimony will be preached to all nations. And then the end will come. Two, Two thoughts. First of all, persevere endure to the end the promise persevere hang in there hang in there if you hear nothing else in the series hang hang in hang in there and hear this that regardless of what comes regardless of things get worse before they get better, which they will we know biblically they will regardless of what happens to america regardless of what happens to your 401k or your whatever in our security in this world that that is not eternal those things aren't eternal Define yourself in your life by what is eternal. Live for what is everlasting. What is eternal? And persevere. Hang in there. Trust Jesus. He's in control. He'll give you what you need. He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. Hang in there. He'll sustain you. So persevere. Jesus challenges to be sober. Sober reminder that some... um, he offers the sub-reminder that um, only the threat of persecution and martyrdom will reveal their true colors. As, as we're told in, in the book of Hebrews, is challenging us that, lo, you've seen the line, you understand these things. Don't lose faith and go back to the world. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to works. Don't go back to whatever. But trust in me. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going I'm to sustain you. And so persevere. Saving faith is known not by some firm declaration or well-intentioned beginning. But saving faith is known by perseverance. Do you, you know that um, confirmation, some of you might have come from the backgrounds where you, you had, were at a church denomination, different branch of Christianity, where you had confirmation classes, and you were taught a bunch of stuff, and you're supposed to, and then once you went through, you kind of, you, I've learned all these things, I know these things, and I want to follow Jesus, and you were confirmed. Okay, and you made a decision to follow Christ, and I'm not saying that you weren't legitimately saved then. I don't know what God did or is doing in your heart and your life, but I'll tell you that biblically, confirmation of salvation is persecution. What reveals whether you really are a believer is when the heat gets turned up in your life, what, what happens. And that's where it's a little... We have to be careful with the young people. When, when, our, when our kids choose to follow Christ at three and a half years old, that's wonderful, that's great, but you really don't know that you, know that you know that they're a believer to the degree that we can by looking at fruit in their life until the heat gets turned up in the latter years and they're, they're, they deal with the temptations and the draw and the challenges of, of the world. That's when you realize whether they legitimately are believers. And, and in First John, we're told that they have, um, they have gone out from us because they were not of us. When 80% of the kids that drop out in churches, they're in youth groups, and they drop out after graduating high school and walk away from their church, walk away from Jesus... Could it be that they went out from us because they were not of us? Be careful giving false security to people. Oh, you walked down the aisle. Yeah, you, you signed the card. Oh, you were baptized. You did the thing. You did the whatever. You, you checked the box. How do you do when temptation comes? How do you do when persecution comes? How do you deal with those things? That's why we're told in the Word of God to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not saying earn it. It does not say to earn it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can lose it. If you legitimately are saved, you will persevere to the end. But I'm wondering internally what's going on in your heart and life when temptation comes. How have you responded to it? Is there conviction of sin? Is there a desire to walk with God? Is there a desire to repent of sin and trust in Jesus? Do you see the Spirit of God working in your life? Perseverance. Those who will endure to the end will be saved. And then the last thought. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. What, what are we supposed to do? Persevere and then... Preach. Preach. You know, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. You're told to proclaim, to share, to declare the gospel of the kingdom of God, of Jesus, to the ends of the earth. You know, in a simple way, you guys did that this morning? In a simple way. It's a first step. You say, I've never shared the gospel with... Well, you just just did it for the first time. It's awesome. take care and manicure your lawn and rake your leaves and you, 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 know, you always take the trash down the curb and you put it exactly where the trash man wants and you never fill it up too much and you're such a noble spectacular citizen and you are just great. You know, nobody's going to go, you know what, my neighbor is so kind and gracious and bakes bread for me once a year or does whatever or brings me a fruit roll thing or whatever. I, they're so, I, I think I, I realize I'm a sinner and I need to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in Christ and be saved. At some point You have to proclaim the gospel. We believe in living missionally as a church. We believe in living missionally, in in washing people's feet and serving people. And at some point, you have to proclaim the gospel to the people around you, right? You've got to proclaim it. You have to share it. You have to explain it. And, and, And we want to be about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So the promise, persevere and then preach. And then the end will come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we think about, we turn our eyes and our our minds towards being preppers, being ready for the end, God, that we would just, you would give us wisdom, Father, to not get sucked into the voices of this world, to not be led astray. Our way, whatever happens, whatever challenges, God, whether things get better or things get worse in our country, in our lives, in our neighborhood, God, will you help us? Would you enable us? Would you, by your grace and your power, help us? To persevere, and until you come, that we would preach, we would share the gospel with the world around us. And then you have told us that when that happens, you will come.